is alcohol that big of a deal? I think it's important for all of us to understand exactly why and what alcohol does, how it impacts the body, so that you can make logical decisions as to if and how it's appropriate in your life. Welcome to the show where we help you make smart nutrition simple. If you want proven nutrition strategies to help you build a better body and create the energy to show up for your family without overly restrictive and unrealistic dieting, then you're in the right place. Make sure to subscribe and enjoy this episode. Today, we're going to talk about a number of things in relation to alcohol. We're going to talk about um, do alcohol calories count? And is alcohol more fattening than other calories? We're going to talk about what happens in the body when we drink alcohol, the health benefits, if any, to alcohol intake. We'll we'll talk about some of the uh, known and unknown side effects of drinking, and then we'll address um, the impact of alcohol on uh, testosterone and lean muscle mass, because I think that's an important one. And then um, should you choose to, to drink alcohol, we'll kind of talk about some of the rules around how to make uh, the most informed choices possible. Um, I think of most importance is understanding the implications of alcohol as it pertains to just calorie intake. Because at the end of the day, what most people don't realize is simply how many calories alcohol contributes to our daily calorie intake. Now, if you've spent any considerable amount of time tracking calories, then you've likely probably pretty quickly created some awareness around the fact that alcohol does actually contribute to a significant amount of calories in our diet. And the reason for that is because alcohol equates uh, to about seven calories per gram. If you're aware of, of course, the other macronutrients, so protein, carbohydrates, and fats, of course, that's those are the three macronutrients that make up our calorie intake. And so assuming we're consuming a 2000 calorie diet, well, there's going to be some portion of protein in that diet, some portion of carbohydrate, some portion of fat. And depending on the food, the proteins are going to have roughly four calories per gram, carbohydrates, four calories per gram, and fat is nine calories per gram. Um, But alcohol, which could be considered a fourth macronutrient, actually equates to seven calories per gram. So it's very calorically dense, obviously almost twice that of protein and carbohydrates. And so what many people don't realize is by virtue of even just having a few cocktails, they can significantly contribute to that daily calorie intake. And so you can imagine a 100 calorie beer, 150 calorie drink, 250 calorie IPA, whatever it is, very quickly, depending on how many beverages we're having, well, those calories add up. And at the end of the day, as I've expressed to you guys on multiple times, listen, I don't care about hormones, I don't care about diet type, I don't care about you know carbs, fats, whatever. At the end of the day, calories matter most. And so whatever, if, if our goals are weight loss, if our goals are fat loss, the best thing that we can do is figure out a way to manage our total calorie intake. And this is where you know we have to be very cognizant of how the alcohol calories add up. And so what we typically see is we do great during the week, generally speaking, is you know Monday through Thursday, we're eating clean, we're hitting our protein goals, we're tracking our calories. But then of course, 
Thursday night, maybe happy hour, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, all of a sudden we start to consume a lot more alcohol. And that's not necessarily the, the, the problem. However, you can see how those calories can add up. But what is it that typically comes with alcohol consumption? Is yes, it comes with a lot of calories, but also obviously because of the effects of alcohol, it significantly lowers our inhibitions to the degree that, of course, we're compounding those alcohol calories with burgers and chips and pizza and more alcohol and desserts and all of those types of things that also have a significant calorie intake. And so it's very common, especially in the early stages of a coaching program for us to see, and there's actually some pretty cool research on this. In one of the research studies I read, they actually coined this effect, the weekend effect, in that during the week, the average American typically loses weight during the week. And then on the weekends, of course, by virtue of our, our intake from food and alcohol uh, and calories, um, our weight uh, rebounds pretty hard to the degree that it's not uncommon to see that weight back up where it started, if not higher, on that following Monday. And so we lose during the week, gain on the weekends, lose. And if we, if we titrate that out over the course of a year, well, the average American's actually gaining weight from basically weekend to weekend to weekend. And part of this, I think, has to do with why alcohol is so socially acceptable. So first and foremost, it's calories and needs to be equated for, right? And so beyond that is what happens to the body when we drink alcohol. So here's the the other nuance of why alcohol actually is treated in the body a little bit different than protein, carbs, and fats. We consume these foods, they're broken down in our digestive system and in the various amino acids or carbohydrates or um, triglycerides or whatever are uh, shuttled to the appropriate body tissues and, and organs and cells to be utilized as fuel. Now, when we consume alcohol, it's almost um, viewed as a toxin or a poison in the body in that the body wants to do everything it can to actually metabolize it and get rid of it as quickly and efficiently as possible. Uh, alcohol is actually preferentially metabolized. And so it means that when we consume alcohol, it's broken down very quickly, but it's processed by the liver. It's not actually broken down into usable uh, sugars per se. Uh, it has to be processed by the liver as opposed to the muscle cells and tissues. And because it's preferentially metabolized, meaning of basically first importance, any other calories that we're digesting at that time get moved to the back burner. And so it means that our body has to automatically and as efficiently process the alcohol out of our system, which is a energetically dense process to the degree that let's say we're drinking beers, but we're also eating nachos at the same time. Well, all of the carbohydrates and all of the fats that we're consuming at the same time, whereas normally in the absence of alcohol, those would get processed depending on how carbohydrate sensitive we are, how efficient our, our digestive system is, those will naturally get broken down and as I said, get shuttled to the appropriate tissues, assuming we exercise frequently and we have normal blood sugar regulation. Well, the carbohydrates would get broken down into sugars and shuttled into our bloodstream and be utilized by our muscles and be utilized by our liver efficiently. And hopefully not too much would get stored as fat. 
especially if we're not in a calorie surplus. However, here's the differentiator is when we're drinking alcohol, all of those calories, as I said, are going to get pushed to the back burner, so to speak, which means a lot more of those calories are actually going to be converted to fat because our body is trying to process the alcohol to get it out of our system. And so that's one of the big kind of misnomers around alcohol intake that most people don't realize. And of course, what happens when we drink alcohol is we tend to eat most of the crappy foods, the burgers and the, the nachos and the you know, pizzas and all the stuff that's delicious and, and perfectly warranted to some degree, but it does become a bit of a hindrance in terms of how we process those calories. Because when we're drinking, we process them very differently um, than if we weren't drinking alcohol. So it's really important um, to understand that. So let's talk about some of the health benefits and otherwise of alcohol intake. Now, years and years ago, there was a lot of discussion around how wine, you know, and the polyphenols and resveratrol are good for us and yada, yada, and people are justifying their wine intake and this, that, and the other. And the reality is like, look, if we, if we take into account what I just talked about, the excess calories, the preferential metabolism of alcohol, which, which ultimately leads to more fat gain from the other calories that we're consuming to say nothing. And this is the big thing is it's not just in the acute phase that we have to consider the health implications of alcohol. And it's not just physiological that we have to consider the health effects of alcohol, but what about psychological health? What about emotional health? What about relationship health? It's like one thing to justify drinking alcohol. And, and listen, I am. I mean, I'm, I enjoy my wine and my tequila and my beers just as much as the next person. And I have every intention of, of, of consuming alcohol again at some point. And I don't know if it's going to be after this 21 days or whatever, but point is that we are doing ourselves a disservice if we're not acknowledging the repercussions here of all of the other things outside of physiologically speaking, sure, we can make it work. And we can even make it work from a caloric standpoint. And you can even lose fat and lose weight while you're drinking alcohol, as long as you're managing your calories to a point. And I'll get into this a little bit more. But if we're not acknowledging the repercussions uh, that have to do with our emotional health, our relationship health, our psychological health. And again, I think we're doing ourselves a disservice because typically when are we drinking? We're drinking in the evenings. And we know full well, and it's very clear in the literature that um, when we're drinking alcohol, it's going to cause a disturbance in blood sugar regulation. So what happens to so many of us when we drink alcohol at night? Well, we feel like it helps us wind down and it helps us go to sleep. But the reality is that, and I'm seeing this time and time again, especially as we have more data and and more of us are paying attention to um, our biometrics and you know we have tracking apps to track our sleep and, and we have rings to track our sleep and we have watches to look at blood sugar regulation and, and I'm even wearing a continuous glucose monitor to measure blood sugar regulation. So yeah, I like to nerd out with this stuff a little bit, but what we're seeing time and again is despite the fact that we feel like alcohol helps us wind down, it actually creates massive blood sugar regulation disturbances. And so what a lot of people experience, and maybe this is something that you can resonate with, but we experience, yeah, it helps us fall asleep, but then all of a sudden, boom, we're awake at midnight or at 1am. Why? And maybe we're sweating or maybe we're just wide awake and like our minds racing 
or we're hungry or, or we have to get up and use the restroom. Why is because um, it actually causes an artificial elevation in blood sugar when we're drinking it, depending on how much or how little food we consume with it. And then boom, we get a blood sugar crash. What happens when we get a blood sugar crash? It's a major stressor on our hormones. And so it jacks up our cortisol. And cortisol is one of our major stress hormones that helps us produce energy. It's, it's one of our fight or flight hormones, right? Because when our blood sugar's low, we need a way to, um, continue to keep blood sugar stable. This is part of the body's amazing ability to maintain homeostasis. That's why cortisol is called what we call a glucocorticosteroid. It has the ability to artificially elevate blood sugar levels for those times when Imagine 10,000 years ago when we're out hunting and we've been without food and we're getting chased by the tiger in order to, to get our blood sugar levels up to produce energy so that we can run away, so that we can fight, right? So whatever that is, but this is a low-grade fight-or-flight response that we're subjected to time and time again when we're drinking alcohol or even eating a lot of sugar at night. We get a drop and then boom, we get this artificial rise. And so it completely disrupts our sleep patterns. Sleep is the most anabolic phase of healing for us, for our brain and for our body. So we're not well rested. We're not well recovered. When we're not sleeping, what happens? All of the sudden, we're lethargic, we're tired, we're cranky. Also, very clear in the literature is when we don't get enough sleep consistently is we become more insulin resistant. So it means all of those carbs that we're eating aren't going to get processed very effectively, which means more blood sugar dysregulation in the body. It also means more hunger. It also means more cravings so that we might realize on nights where we don't get very much sleep, we have a very hard time avoiding the coffee and the donuts or the pastries or the shit that's sitting out at the office or whatever. And it becomes this vicious cycle, right? It affects our relationships. Why are we drinking in the first place? And I could go on and on and on about all of these nuances of alcohol intake, but I think it's so important to ask ourselves, well, why are we drinking in the first place? And who are we drinking with? Uh, it's one thing if it's a social occasion and we're enjoying our company and the food and the experience, but it, it's a completely another thing. And this is no judgment because again, this is, this is something that I've been um, struggling with to some degree or another for years that just over the past few years, I've really been able to start to improve my behaviors around with a lot of work. But it's like, hey, is it five o'clock on a Tuesday and I'm cracking a bottle of wine and no one's home? I'm like, why? Just all of the, the physiological, psychological, emotional components, relationship components is to alcohol as it goes far beyond, like, can I lose fat and drink alcohol at the same time? Like, yes, you can to a degree, but Frankly, there's really no amount of alcohol that's going to actually help your body composition goals. Zero alcohol is, is going to help your body composition goals. So it really begs the question, especially when I start to work with people and they're like, you can take anything away. I don't need to eat my carbs and I don't need to eat my cookies and blah, 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 but don't take away my wine. And it really begs the question of what is it that you are so uh, emotionally tied to with your alcohol intake that is so important that you know it becomes more important than the the health and and body composition and lifestyle goals that you say you want for yourself 
there's a lot of cultures around the world. And we, these are what we call the blue zones. If you've ever read the book, Blue Zones, um, it's great stuff, but it, it's basically research into the, 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 the communities around the world that have the most longevity, they have the most centenarians, the most people that live to a hundred years old. And what do they observe is, well, sure, they drink wine and they also have a very strong sense of community and social support. They also are very, very physically active. They also um, have some way of consistently managing their calorie intake and they don't perpetually overeat like most of the Western world. So that's correlation, not causation, meaning they're not 100 because they drink alcohol. They're 100 because of all of these behaviors together. Are there health benefits? Well, I guess it, the question is, well, what else are you doing in your life that's going to support um, the health benefits that you're looking for? Are you surrounding yourself with the right people? Are you creating a sense of community? Are you being consistently physically active? Are you effectively managing your calories um, on a daily basis and not overeating to any significant degree by virtue of maintaining a stable body weight and healthy body composition and so on and so forth? So I think there can be plenty of health benefits as it relates to those other correlational values. The most important thing is, is how and when and who are we uh, consuming alcohol with? In my mind, that becomes uh, the, the biggest driver of why we do what we do. For me, I don't drink a lot anymore. But if and when I do, it's certainly going to be with friends. It's certainly going to be with community. It's going to be with family members. And as I've mentioned on a previous podcast is, you know, my dad and I don't have an amazing relationship. Um, so if and when we do hang out, it's usually in the backyard over a good tequila or a glass of wine with dinner or something like that. And it's just kind of one of those connection points that it is what it is. And so for me, that's worth it. For someone else, it might be not. You know, So that's for you to decide. Um, let's talk about the impact of alcohol on testosterone and muscle mass. There's really no beneficial uh, impact. And, and if anything, there's there's a detriment to uh, muscle mass and to um, testosterone levels when we drink. And mostly it's coming from, as I alluded to, is the impacts on the rest of our hormonal systems, especially relative to our sleep cycles, right? So if we're drinking, we're not sleeping. If we're not sleeping, we're not producing the androgens as men as and, and women that we need to um, effectively recover, to support lean muscle tissue, to support hormonal function. And so anything that's going to disrupt these sleep-wake cycles is going to significantly affect our hormonal rhythms. And with that is it's going to affect testosterone, it's going to affect estrogen, it's going to affect uh, muscle mass and body composition levels. This is when the conversation turns with the client of they're consistently eating at the right calorie level, they're hitting their protein goals. But where the nuances come in is, is how are those calories adding up? Because it's not uncommon for me to have conversations with people and say, listen, you know, 25% of your calorie intake is coming from alcohol. And now you've expressed that you're frustrated by lack of results. Would it be reasonable to assume that if you were to stop drinking alcohol and start consuming that extra 500 or 1,000 calories from real food, that you would get better results, that you would have more energy, that you'd be able to think more clearly, that you would sleep better, so on and so forth. So it's all good and well to say, yeah, it's all about calories in, calories out. And sure, for some people, you can absolutely make that work. 
But if you're serious about your health and body composition goals, then frankly, um, the alcohol should be minimized. And this is where we really look at the big picture with clients. And this is why we have what we call a four seasons approach to to nutrition is there's always going to be seasons that we're going through. There's always going to be life bumps that get in the way. And there's going to be seasons where we're able to really dial in and be strict and be regimented and easily like now, like after the new year and say, Hey, I can, I can do dry January and I can commit to that. And I can kind of uh, absolve myself of some of those social situations that I would normally find myself in. But as we start to get into February, okay, we have Super Bowl, And if you're in, if you're in Phoenix here, we have the, the Phoenix Open, then we have spring break and, and all of these types of things. And so it's really important, I think, that we take kind of a cyclical approach throughout the year to how we prioritize our nutrition, our training, our drinking as a means to say we have to have periods where it becomes more restrictive if we have body composition and weight loss goals, but also teaching you how to realistically have it in your a day, week, month with social situations, how to eat out, how to drink it if and when dieting, um, how to navigate certain social situations and so on and so forth, because that's just the real world that we're living in. And if we don't give you those tools, then you're going to be in a position where you're going to white knuckle it so long and so hard that eventually you're just going to say, screw it. I can't do it anymore. And it's all or nothing. And that's the last thing that we want. And that's the position too many of us have been in over our entire lives. That's why we do things differently. And so um, I think all of that lends itself to you determining whether it's reasonable or not for you to continue drinking alcohol in whatever capacity seems appropriate for you. Here's the things around alcohol intake that I'll say, I think if I can give you a couple of quick tangible tools around how to leverage alcohol. First and foremost, alcohol calories matter. So when you're drinking alcohol, be cognizant of how many ancillary calories you're drinking with that alcohol. In other words, a glass of wine, a light beer, a shot, you know, an ounce and a half of a hard alcohol, all of those things are about the same from a calorie standpoint. They're all about 150 calories. Now, here's where things um, become problematic is, are you really having a glass of wine? A glass of wine is five ounces. I don't know anyone that pours a five ounce glass of wine. In fact, for those of you that are measuring with the challenge, when you do, if you do start drinking again, I challenge you to actually weigh out five ounces in a cup. And um, you might be a little sad to see how little that actually is. Most people are doing eight, nine, 10 ounce pours, which ultimately becomes two glasses of wine. That becomes 300 calories. Or you're drinking an IPA that comes with significantly more calories. Or you're drinking not just a shot of vodka, but you're drinking a vodka and orange juice or cranberry juice. Now, juice has calories. And so my point here is that what you drink the alcohol with matters just as much as the alcohol itself. And we can get ourselves into trouble when we're consuming extremely calorically dense beverages like a margarita or any type of mixed drinks that come with soda or juice. So keep that in mind is if you are drinking, make it a point to consume as much I'll say straight alcohol as possible, wine, light beer, 
um, hard alcohol. And if you're going to mix it with something, try and mix it with something that is extremely low in calories, assuming you're trying to manage your calorie intake. So club soda, you know, sparkling water, um, sugar-free juice, those types of things. Just personally, I would encourage you to drink alcohol that's quality enough that you can drink it straight, like a good tequila, a good whiskey, good scotch, a decent vodka, and not necessarily need to mix it with something. If you're drinking plastic handle vodka, then we've got other problems to deal with, in my opinion. So that would be number one. Number two is what you eat while you're drinking obviously matters. So one of the ways that we structure our nutrition on days where you know you're going to be drinking alcohol, I think that the best thing that you can do is, again, you have to be diligent about how many and the types of calories that you're taking in when you're consuming alcohol, but also how those calories are adding up for the entire day. So it would be logical to build out your day in a way where Assuming you know you're going to be drinking and probably eating more food, let's say you go out to a really nice dinner. I mentioned last week, we went out to an amazing steakhouse dinner the other night. I had like 3,500 calories at dinner, probably, maybe more. Um, if actually, we weren't actually drinking even. Um, that was all from food. But had I been drinking, it would have been significantly more. Point is that it makes perfect sense for me to significantly curb my, my intake earlier on in the day as a means to help balance out net calories, not only at the end of the day, but also at the end of the week as well. And that's another strategy that you can employ to say, hey, look, if you know that you're going to be consuming more calories from alcohol or otherwise, let's say on a Friday, well, you could strategically reduce your calorie intake just by a little bit on Monday through Thursday. So that again, um, net calories over the course of a week end up balancing out. That's really what seems to matter most when it comes to long-term weight management, body composition change, or at least we're preemptively planning um, for success. And within that, I would also encourage keeping your carbohydrates a little bit lower on days where you are drinking. One of the things that we do in our coaching program is we count all alcohol calories as carbohydrates. So if you're going to drink, you know, a light beer, let's say it's a hundred calories. Well, we would consider that to be about 25 grams of carbs. Remember, carbs have four calories per gram. And so we just contribute all of those calories to carbohydrate so that you can track them appropriately. And so by that consideration is um, if you're going to be consuming a lot of carbs from alcohol, which they're not technically carbs, they're, they're their own macronutrient, but if you're going to be consuming a lot of carbs, it makes sense to keep your carb intake lower for that day, which would inadvertently mean sticking mostly with lean proteins and veggies, um, even a protein shake earlier on in the day to keep protein high, to keep you satiated um, and satisfied leading up to whenever you're going to drink, but also helping you effectively manage your calories. And I think that really just offhand, those are probably the best strategies that I can suggest. Um, I also would say that just going back to really identifying why you're drinking in the first place. And so much of our nutrition habits have to do with ingrained behavioral patterns. And one of the things that we talk about a lot in our coaching practice that I learned from one of my mentors, Dr. Trevor Cashy, is he has this, what he calls an SRO model, a stimulus, a response, and an outcome. And what we often are encountered with is we often have a stimulus. It's, let's see, it's now, it's almost five o'clock. For me, that means it's almost time to shut it down for the day. 
uh, to pour a glass of wine, like I said, I used to find myself doing stimulus. The stimulus is it's been a long day. I'm shutting things down. All of a sudden, my brain goes to, uh, I'd love a glass of wine to wind down, to manage my stress. The response is to go crack the wine and pour a glass and drink it. Now, in between the stimulus and the response, we need to create space. We need to create space to interject logic and reason. And the logic and reason is what I would challenge you guys to start to create more awareness around so that I can step back and I can say, yeah, it's five o'clock, but do I really want a glass of wine or do I want to go in the garage and get a workout in? Or perhaps I can go take a walk or maybe I can go practice the piano or maybe I can listen to some music or maybe I can go out back and jump on the trampoline with my kids, right? Is there so many other things that probably would be more appropriate and more in line with my goals. And when we can create that awareness and we can create that separation between stimulus and response and we can insert logic and reason, and I can take a step back and I can say, yeah, that actually makes a lot more sense. I'm going to start to change that feedback loop so that the, oh, the outcome or the results end up improving in my favor. So that's what I would challenge you guys with is all of this physiology stuff is great. It's important for us to know how the alcohol impacts the body, but ultimately it's the same thing with nutrition. All of this stuff comes back to behavior change. It all comes back to why we do what we do. Why do we make the decisions that we make? Because we all know what to do. Everyone knows what to do. We know what we should be doing, what's best for us, so why don't we do it? It's because we have previously ingrained behavioral patterns and habits um, that we need to break the cycles around. And so that's where we need to identify what that stimulus is and take a step back and look from, from a 30,000 foot view, come up with an alternative solution and then implement it. I hope that you can take a lot from this. I hope you can continue to experience success on your own. And for those of you that are working with us, well, we're, we're honored and privileged to have you as part of our BSL Nutrition family. For any of you that want the opportunity to work with us, just shoot me a message and we'll have a conversation and see if it's a good fit. Thank you so much for listening. And if you found this content valuable, here are four ways I can help you in your nutrition journey for free. One, grab a free copy of my Fat Loss Fix Guide at fatlossfixguide.com. Two, join my free group at smartnutritionmadesimple.com. Three, subscribe to my YouTube channel at smartnutritionmadesimpletv.com. Four, leave a five-star rating and positive review so that we can gain access to more nutrition experts ready to share their knowledge with you and ultimately help more people make smart nutrition simple. 